you. Thank you very much. Well, good morning. I'm glad you made it out on this cold day. Um, some of you were running around in t-shirts, shorts yesterday, and here we are bundled up today. Um, my wife and I do live in Waco. We have uh, two grown children. One of them is married, and she has three children, our grandchildren, which is a great joy, and so we're excited about that. I did lose my voice a little bit. I, it really started going downhill right about the time David asked me to preach, um, but I was committed, and so uh, my wife hasn't heard me talk in three days, so we got catching up to do on the drive, on the drive home. Um, oh, it's a joy to be here. David and I have been friends. Actually, the four of us have been friends for a few years now, and uh, we love this church. We appreciate what's going on here um, in Colleen very much. If you want, go ahead and turn to the book of Romans chapter 6. We'll find ourselves there in a few minutes. Um, uh, let me just take you back a little bit when I was maybe a, a bit younger. Uh, we used to bundle up on New Year's Eve and uh, go up the street to our church. We attended First United Methodist Church in Waco, Texas. And every New Year's Eve, we would go up and the youth would do some things and the parents would do some things. And we'd get back together at 11.30 p.m. And we'd sing and there'd be a devotional of sorts. Um, and then at midnight, they would ring the bells, 12 gongs of the bell. And then we would sing a song called, anybody know? That's what, yeah, Old Lang Syne, you were thinking right. We'd sing Old Lang Syne. And, and, you know, we would sing it. We wouldn't think much about the lyrics, I, you know, what it was saying, but it was a nice song. What I didn't know was that the song became popular in the 1920s in America. What I also didn't know, it was actually penned by a Scottish poet in the 18th century, a man by the name of Robert Burns. And interesting that he wrote it that long ago. He didn't even write the words Old Lang Syne. Actually, those go back even centuries before that. It basically means long days since past or days long ago is what that means. But he penned an entire song that somehow or another made its way to America, and we all thought it was so popular, and we sang this song with maybe not asking a lot of questions. Because the first verse should have gotten our attention, okay? Um, should old acquaintance be forgot and, and never come to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot for the sake of old Lang Syne, or in the days of old Lang Syne? And, and I, I hear that phrase, and I think, well, well no. Old acquaintance shouldn't be forgotten, that they should continue to come to mind. And we know that's what he meant, actually, because in the second verse, he says, I'll raise a cup of kindness. What he meant was, no, we don't forget the old acquaintance of the past. In fact, we raise a cup of kindness to them at New Year's. In other words, we look back to the year before us, and we think about our old relationships, our acquaintances, our friends, and we toast them on New Year's Eve. Now, it's interesting that yesterday, a friend of mine actually put a picture on Instagram of he and three high school classmates. This man's in his 60s. And he was so happy to spend time with them over the holidays. Now, I don't know if he lifted a glass of kindness to them Gave a toast to his friends. But in our era, you just put a picture of your friends on Instagram. That's sort of the modern day toast, right? You know, hey, these are my buddies. I love them. I appreciate them. And he thought well of them. He certainly didn't forget them. They still come to his mind. 
as do many wonderful things about your past. But if you're like me, when I cross over this new year, there are things that I really do want to forget. There are things I don't want to keep them coming to mind. Namely, my past sins. My past offenses against God and my fellow man. As as I often hear my thoughts, word, and deed against thy divine majesty and his children. I, I don't want those to keep coming to mind. And so today what I want to do is, is, is talk about, from Romans 6, why those past days don't have to come to mind. Those days gone by, as my friend would call them, his B.C. days, his before Christ days. My friend is so emotional about this B.C. term that when he talks about his B.C. days, to give me context for his life, his countenance changes. He will get emotional talking about the brokenness at times in their marriage, about sins he committed in his heart, in his words, and his actions. And then he lights up when he talks about that moment that Christ got hold of his heart and made him new in Christ, right? And so I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about days gone by unnecessarily. But I do want to talk about today in the context of what it meant for many of you who are Christians today to go from deadness in Christ to alive together with Christ to this newness we can have in Christ. And for those of you here today and you feel far from God, and I suspect there are some, and you have never tasted of the goodness of the mercies of God through Jesus Christ, I hope today that you are starting the year off with a confession of your sins before God, repenting before Him, and looking back and saying, I want to forget about those, and I want to start a new life in Christ. That's my hope for you today. So let's look at Romans 6 together. I'm just going to read a few verses, and if you'll allow me, I'm going to read verse 520. I'll tell you why in a minute. Right before he gets to 6, he says this, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he asks this question, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're baptized, we're buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. I read 5, 20, and 21 because it gives you some context to why he would ask the question, what then shall we say? It's because he was anticipating the Pharisees nearby who would have heard his teaching where he talked about this idea of that no law came to increase the trespass where sin increased, grace abounded. And that's true. Where sin does increase, grace does abound. But he thought they were going to ask this sort of trick question. He said, okay, Paul, if that's the case, then the question they're going to ask is, do we then go on sinning? Do we live in our sin? And his answer, of course, is by no 
means do we do that? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in our sin? I heard one author say, uh, since we died to sin, how can we breathe the air of sin again? I like that analogy. Because we can't see it, right? You don't, you don't, it's there you don't see. They say, but you, why would you go ahead and start breathing in this air of sin, the toxic, death-bringing smell and sense of sin? You wouldn't. I don't want to live in it. I don't want to talk about it. Do you feel that way? Some of you really feel that way. Some of you right now are thinking, I hope nobody ever asked me about my life before Christ because it grieves you. I have journals I have pages in journals where I'm thinking about right now going, I think I should throw those away before my children or grandchildren read them. Do you feel that way at times? Because you're working through sins in your life and confessing them in a journal. And they are a record of the past, not a record of the future. But they give context to what Christ has done in our life. So we have to ask the question, what does it mean to die? to sin. Because I stand for you today as a man who has died to my sin because of my confession of faith, my commitment to Christ, what he's done in my life. And I hope I'm looking out on people who have done it as well. As I said earlier, if you haven't, today's the day to die to your sin. To die to your sin. So what does it mean? 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. Live to righteousness. Galatians 2.2 says, I have been, 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Both of those start with this dying, this crucifixion, this burial, this death of Christ. And immediately after a simple comma turns to life eternal, turns to a new life in Christ. Life in me. Righteousness living in me. So when we die to Christ, we are actually uniting ourselves with Christ. In fact, let me, let me put it like this. We die to sin by uniting ourselves with Christ who destroyed the power of sin at the cross so we can renounce the reign of sin in our life. I love that phrase. To me, that is a great encompassing of the Christian life, of conversion from death to life. We sin right? We die to sin by uniting ourselves. One author said, by incorporating ourselves with Christ. Why? Because he destroyed the power of sin at the cross so that we can renounce the reign of sin in our life. Now look, friends, this doesn't mean we're not tempted sometimes. We're tempted daily. The world is toxic. It's full of things that tempt us all the time. And even if we stay in our house and turn off the television. Oftentimes, that indwelling nature of sin that Paul talks about in Romans 7 will well up in us, and our imagination will move to places, and our words will say things to our very own family that are sinful. It doesn't mean we're untempted. It doesn't mean we don't sin. We have the power now to renounce that sin in our life. It doesn't have to have mastery over us. It's not our slave anymore. Saying we've died to sin but still live in sin is like saying death is life. And that makes no sense, right? Death is only life if it leads to a new life in Christ. You see that? Death is only life if it leads to a new life in Christ. 
Dying to sin is the beginning of our life with Christ. It's the end. It's the breaking of our slavery to sin. I heard a pastor preach uh, on a section right past where we are today, Romans 6, 11 through 14. Your eyes can go to that. I just want to pull out two sentences from here because I've never heard any other preacher explain it this way, but it made so much sense to me. In verse 11, it says, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then it says this, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Now, that sounds like a pretty strong imperative, right? Do not let sin reign, have ownership, rulership, mastery in your mortal body. And I say amen to that. We should not let that happen. But I need to know what the power I have over that because I I look at my life over 55 years and I go, it seems like it's still raining a lot, doesn't it? I feel like I, I still can't shake certain sins or I make up new ones as I get older. So clearly we're going to sin. But there's different than sinning and sin having dominion and rulership over your life, isn't it? Well, this helps. If you go to verse 14, he said, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. So let's do it in reverse. Sin will have no dominion over your life, no rulership, no mastery, no authority over your life if you're in Christ. Now go to the beginning. Therefore, don't let it. Do you see that? It doesn't have dominion, so don't let it have dominion. It doesn't reign with authority in your life anymore if you're in Christ, so don't let it. That's why I use that word, renounce it, when you see it coming. And let me tell you, when you renounce the sin in the name of Jesus, it has authority and power in your life. Some of you right now, can, you can vividly remember walking into occasions, situations where you could feel the temptation of sin, and at that moment, What did you do? You stood up and you renounced the sin before you, and because it has no dominion over you, it went away. Do you see that? That's a powerful thing that we have, not from ourselves, but because we're united with Christ. Let me say it again. Dying to sin is the beginning of life in Christ and the end of your slavery to sin. Now, he went on to say this in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. I just love how he links these two words, burial and baptism. And not only that, when you think about burial and baptism, remember, baptism is a submersion into water. And if we leave you there long enough, you're going to die, right? I assume y'all do, you know, baptism. How do y'all do your baptisms here? It's right behind. Oh, that's there? Oh, okay. If anybody needs to be baptized, come on up. We'll do that later. Um, so, so David's going to submerse you underwater. Now, I'm guessing there's probably some of you guys that were, your days long since passed were full of a lot of sin. So David may have kept you under a little bit longer just to make sure it took, right? But here's the deal. You're going to come out of that water, whether it's in a second or five seconds. And when you do, you emerge to a new life in Christ. 
baptism, the beauty of baptism is that it spreads the gospel message while it's happening. It testifies to the gospel because the gospel is we're buried with Christ in his baptism and raised with Christ in his glory. That's good news for us. I love the connection here. Burial emphasizes this completeness, this finality of death. And and let's remember, Christ's death was final. Now, there are skeptics, conspiracy theorists out there that want to question, well, maybe he was just unconscious. Maybe he got up and figured out how to move the tomb, the stone away. No, he was dead when he went into that tomb. And he laid there dead for three days before he emerged victorious. So your baptism gives a picture of the gospel. It identifies you with his death and his resurrection. In baptized, we are buried with Christ in our baptism. I heard one author say, there must be death for you to be saved. Apart from death, baptism is meaningless. Do you hear that? This, this sacrament, this celebration that we do here, it becomes meaningless if beforehand you haven't already died to your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. We do it after that. You know what else comes after that is the Lord's Supper because it is a way, a tangible expression of a, of a spiritual reality that Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed. And when we receive it, we're saying, we believe that. We're saying we've confessed that. And so these elements, by the way, just a side note here, the, the, the Protestant Christian church has three things given to us. You know what they are? We have a Bible. We have water baptism, and we have the Lord's Supper. We don't have any other sacraments. We have the Word and these two sacraments, and they all shout this message of death and resurrection over and over and over again. So verse 4 moves us a little further to the end of where we're at. I'm going to pick up in the middle of verse 3. We were buried, therefore, by him with baptism into death. And then he says, in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. You ever heard this expression that the, the gospel has to start with bad news before you get to the good news? Well, uh, Chris just said a while ago, and he was reading, and he said, here's the turn. Did you catch that? Well, this is the turn of this verse. In order that. So you died, you were buried, in order that. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may be raised and walk in newness of life. And when you rise up from your knees, when, you know, maybe at your conversion you drop to your knees, right? When you rose up from that or when you, when you rise up from the waters of baptism, we rise up to walk, right? Not sit, not slouch, right? I heard a pastor say one time, you know, uh, rivers don't meander, Right? Rivers run. They move. They go, they go fast. We are in the business, right, of moving, not of sitting, not of being stagnant. The whole idea of being on mission just compels us to walk. It compels us to run, to go with Jesus forward, all the way to glory. This idea of running or walking is all throughout Scripture, Right? Now, now, it says walk in newness of life. And, and, and I just want to substitute the word run, as I mentioned. So, so think about it like this. This is why I do this. Um, before we get to, well, before we get to run, let me just say this. Newness of life 
it is sprinkled all through Scripture. The idea of new. I mean, if you think about just creation itself was new, and then he's always making us new in him. Romans 7, 6 says, We are released from the law, having died to what was holding us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Remember that phrase, new way of the Spirit. He says in Ephesians 4, Put off your old self and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on what? The new self, created in the likeness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any was in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. I like to think of this as the old Lang Syne gospel, right? The old passed away, right? The new has come. I think New Year's is a great time to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel is all about what's in the past is past, right? And we're coming new into a new life, a new era as we come into new faith in Christ. I'm not going to forget about old acquaintances. I'm not going to forget about, you know, old good memories. But I'm going to forget about my sins. And start walking in my newness in Christ. You know, when I think about new spirit, new self, new creation, it just encourages me. And maybe it's because I'm getting older. At 55, your, your body's changing, your mind's changing. I'm watching my father at 87 get older and older. But you know what's really exciting about that, though, too? Is that it gets closer and closer to the day we go to heaven and we're made new again. Isn't that incredible? We're not, we're not supposed to stay in our youthful bodies. We're not supposed to stay in our newness all the time as far as physicality. We're going to be made new one day. And so when I think about this, we have been made new spiritually. One day I'll be made new physically. And in between those points, I'm supposed to walk in my newness. And I would suggest run. Isaiah 40 says this, They will wait for the Lord and they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall what? Run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We're running. We're walking. Psalm 119, I will run the way of the commandments. When you enlarge my heart, I will run after your commandments, Lord God. Proverbs 4.12, When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Hebrews 12.1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin. By the way, those are two different things. You know that? You need to lay aside your sin. But some of you have weights that aren't sinful, but they're weights. They're keeping you from doing what? running with endurance the race that is set before us. If if you don't think about anything else in this turn from 2021 to 2022, I want you to think about this newness of life that equips you, empowers you, allows you to run. Not, Not anymore under the dominion of sin. That's in your past. Slavery to sin. Now you're in the dominion of Christ. Empowered of the Holy Spirit to get up tomorrow morning and run your race with Jesus in 2022. Now, in a minute, I'm going to share with you just what I think are some practical implications of this, of this newness of life. You might call them recommendations, but before I do, let me, let me just leave you with this, maybe a summation of this short passage. Baptism is an outward visible sign of an inward invisible union with Christ's death and resurrection that leads to newness of life in Christ. 
hope that captures a lot of what I've shared today. This baptism, this water baptism we talk about, it's just an outward sign of an inward, invisible, keyword union with Christ's death and resurrection. And it leads to the newness of life in Christ. I want you to have that. If you don't have that today, then today's the day you confess your sins before God. Say, I'm done. I'm done celebrating my past sins, living in my present sins. I want to put them to death at the cross of Christ. Trust in Jesus to redeem me, to reconcile me to God that I might get up tomorrow morning and run and walk with my Savior to the day I die. Well, as we, as we look at these, I've, I've kind of put them in categories, and I, and I hope they're helpful. Just three different sentences, and then I'll say a few words about each of them. But I, I, really, I really want them to be utilized by you in 2022. I, I, let me just say this as we begin. I, I think you ought to take some time, each of you, two, three hours. Um, maybe you have to do it in the evening. Uh, maybe one of the spouses has to watch the kids while the other does this, and you trade off. Maybe you need to take off a little early from work. Go to wherever it works for you. It's cold this week, so maybe it's a coffee shop. Um, I, I've discovered that if you put noise-canceling headphones on me, I can sit just about anywhere. As long as I don't hear what's going on, I can stay focused, right? Um, and I want you to plan your run with Jesus for 2022. Just, just plan your run with Jesus. And I'm going to give you some things that might work into your plan. First one is this. Newness of life in Christ compels us to engage with the story of Christ. I suggest you do this. When you engage in the story of Christ, I want you to follow the gospel thread all the way through Scripture. Every time you get up and start reading the Bible, wherever you're at, I want you to follow this thread. Think of it like, think of it like you're reading this, and behind here, this is a tapestry. There is thread right behind the tapestry, and there is gospel thread behind all these words that runs from Genesis to Revelation. If you allow yourself, you can read it and see Christ, the thread of Christ through the whole Bible. You might also read this, and, and remember, it's a one big meta-narrative. As you read day in and day out, even the, the Deuteronomies and the, and the Leviticus passages, where it seems a bit difficult, I want you to know that there is a story that runs through here, a meta-narrative that not only you see in the macro from Genesis to Revelation, you can see in the micro. Let me give you an example. The meta narrative is that God created all things and they were perfect. And the man fell into sin. Humanity fell into sin. And then God sent a rescue, which is Jesus, to save us. And then he's going to restore all things when Christ returns. That's the meta narrative creation, fall, rescue restoration. We see it in the whole Bible, but you can see it in the small versions as well. The story of the prodigal son. He created two sons and gave them a wonderful life. One chose to sin and fall into the humanities of sin, what he did. And then he rescued his son and restored him into his family. So you can find that story repeated over and over in scripture as you engage with the story of Christ. Find a plan that works for you you may have one recommended by your church. I would strongly suggest you might jot this down to get the Bible Project app. You'll love it. It'll tell you stories and help you understand each book of the Bible, the Bible Project app. And then I want to suggest a book to you. 
the book written by Paul David Tripp called "Do You or What Do You Believe?" And uh, I, I suggest you get it on Amazon and start reading it. Get some people together and read it with you. Um, it's it's J. Mathis approved. I don't know if it's Grace Bible approved. David will tell you next week, but I think it is. I, I'm pretty, pretty confident he would approve this. Um, so, "Do You Believe?" by Paul David Tripp. It'll help kind of unpack the scriptures for you um, in a systematic way that I think will bring it to life for you. So find ways to engage with the story of Christ and don't be intimidated by it. In the fifth century, there was a a scholar, a Christian scholar by the name of St. Jerome, and he said this, the scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come in and drink without fear of drowning and deep enough for theologians to swim in without ever touching the bottom. That means some of you have your children with you today, young kids. Like, kids, you, you can read this Bible today. I'm not saying you're going to learn, understand every part of it, but it's okay. Your parents don't understand every part of it either, right? But it is, shallow may not be the rest word, safe enough, simple enough, right? That a child can read it. And it is so deep that there's not a single theologian in all history who could ever reach the depths of this word. Engage with the Bible this year. Second thing, newness of life in Christ calls us to embrace our identity in Christ. One of my favorite passages, 1 Peter 2, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, I I know that's said to the church, but that's what we are if we're in Christ. So you can keep it in a global sense, right, the church, but that means if it's true, then I'm part of a chosen race. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm part of a holy nation. I'm one of those people who are for his own possession. That really changes what I think about myself. And I need to change what I think about myself. Because if there's one or two things that are probably the most disturbing or maybe destructive things in our culture today is one, Christians who don't believe the Bible, okay, who have unbelief in something we're supposed to believe in. And second, when we second-guess our identity in Christ. And the world every day, when you get in your car today, when you watch TV, when you go to school, when you go to work, someone is going to get you to try, maybe not knowingly, for you to question your identity in Christ. And the enemy wants to tell you you're not who God says he is. He says you are. And you are. And so what you have to do in 2022 is take some time. You can find a sheet like this called Who I Am in Christ. Find a, just type that in Google and it'll give you this PDF. It'll be one of the first things that come up. And you ought to say these things to yourself. I'm going to read a few just to remind you. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're a God's child. You're a Christ's friend. You've been justified. You've been bought with a price. You belong to God. You're a saint. You're a holy one. You've been adopted as God's child. You have direct access to God, forgiven of all your sins, and complete in Christ. Amen? You're free from condemnation, assured of all things, free from all condemnation. You cannot be separated from the love of God. You're established, anointed, and sealed by God through the Holy Spirit. You're a citizen of heaven. You're hidden with Christ in God. You've been given a spirit of, not a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and self-control. You're born of God, and the evil one cannot touch you. You can say this boldly, that you're salt of the earth, a branch of the true vine. You're chosen and appointed to bear fruit. 
You're a personal, spirit-empowered witness of Christ. You're the temple of God, a minister of reconciliation. You're seated with Christ, and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen to all that? That's your identity. So when the world tries to tell you who you are, you make sure you remember that God already told you who you are, and he tells you over and over again in his word. So as you plan your run with Jesus for 2022, make sure you spend some time reminding yourself who you are and whose you are. And lastly, oh, what a book you might want to pick up. Identity Theft by Melissa Kruger. Identity Theft by Melissa Kruger. Subtitle is this, Reclaiming the Truth of Our Identity in Christ. Once again, it is J. Maths approved. David, we'll see if it's approved by you later. Um, Listen, the third thing is this. Newness of life in Christ commands us to express our obedience to Christ. That's, that's what, when you're a Christian, you've been given this freedom to express obedience. And I say it like that because I don't want to just say, be obedient, although you should. But the joy we have because we have newness of life in Christ is that we're free to express our obedience. We're free to literally love our enemies to pray for those who persecute us, to forgive people freely. You, you are free to say no to sexual lust. You're free to say no to lies. You're free to say no to theft. You're free to say no to gossip. That, that you have the freedom to do that and to express your obedience in love by the power of God. What a joy that is. He's told us, right? He said, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, Right? That means that we have, through all the capacity we have, there's no limits to how we love God. There's no, there are no limits to our expression. From the affections of our heart, the depths of our soul, the endless thoughts and imaginations and intentions of our minds, we're able to love God through that obedience. Not only Him, but to those people around us. I might remind you that while He summarized the Ten Commandments, with love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. At the Last Supper, he washed his disciples' feet. And you remember what he told them? He said, love as I've loved you. He didn't say love your neighbor as yourself. He said, I want you to love people just as I have loved you. That means our love of obedience is sacrificial. It, it's so sacrificial that it brought him to his knees and he washed the dirty feet of his disciples. Friends, there is a whole world of people that need our generous, sacrificial, obedient love extended to them. And we have within us the power of Christ indwelling in the Holy Spirit, commissioned by God, the Father, to do just that. When you're planning your run with Jesus in 2022, please, please take time to think about your obedience to him. Now, I just want to encourage you, before we go, there, there's one more book, so to be one for each of these sections. And, and the last book is a book by Dane Ortland. I see that you have one out in the lobby. Um, there's a new one called Deeper. And in that, there's a chapter on union with Christ. And it's so kind of apropos to what I'm talking about here. I just want to share this. And you might jot these simple three-word statements down. It's very helpful. But what does it mean to have union with Christ? Some Christians might say... It means God, then me. That's one version of Christianity. Is that God acts sovereignly in my life, and then I get busy serving him and doing for him. That's one view of Christianity. 
The other is, God, not me. That's the complete opposite. That's the let go, let God mentality. That's a view some people have. I think both are flawed. The third one gets a little closer to Christianity. It says, God plus me. That's this idea that we come together and he gives 50% and I give 50% and we collaborate together. We're partners together. We're flying the plane together. He's here, I'm here. Get that? That's None of those are Christianity. None of those capture our actual union with Christ, what it means to be made new in Christ. I think the three-word statement that does is God in me. God in me. Newness of life in Christ is a God in me gospel, which means we run the race set before us, not just for him, although we do, but we're running with him. That's what Christianity is. It's not me going ahead of God or God going ahead of me or or us kind of walking side by side. It's a sense of he lives in me. I'm united with Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. And he's making all things new all the time. So when you leave here today, talk to your spouse, your friend, somebody, say, I'm going to take two or three hours and I'm going to plan my run with Jesus for 2022. Keep it simple. You can use those three categories, right? Engage with the word of Christ this year. Figure out how you can do that. Express your obedience to him, right? The other E word, even I forgot. Embrace your identity in Christ. Thank you for letting me come and just share on this New Year's day with you. We start a new year. I believe that what you are doing here is so great. You have such a mission field. So I want to pray for y'all as y'all go out into clean Harker Heights, Cops Cove area, and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you make us new in Christ. Thank you, God, that you sent your son Jesus to do just that. You sent him to live and die and be buried and to raise on the third day and take his seat at the right hand of you, Heavenly Father. And God, I thank you that we can unite ourselves with him in both his death and his resurrection and walk with him in newness of life. We thank you for that. God, I pray for these people here that they would walk out that door renewed. Father, there's anyone here that is becoming a Christian day, they would turn and share that with somebody, share their new life in Christ, and that you would send all these people on mission to their workplaces and their schools and their neighborhoods to share the love of Christ with those around them. In your son's holy name, amen.